Hello, my beautiful birds, and welcome to the episode of today. So today we are talking about how to look for green flags in your day. So basically, a green flag is something that, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it a sign. You can call it a signal, uh, whatever you want to call it. But a green flag is what I've titled, titled it. But it's anything that you want to pay attention to and then lean into that thing, kind of follow that thing, do something about that thing, appreciate that thing. There's a lot of things in your life that will happen that you might just pass it right by and not pay attention to it. Now, a green flag is like an open door. It's kind of saying, this is good. Let's pay attention to this and figure out what it's telling me. And it's a good thing. Now, not all green flags are happy, joy. This is amazing. This is fun. Some green flags will be masked as red flags in the sense that it doesn't feel nice, but it is a really good indicator. It is like an alarm for you. And it's kind of saying, you know, pay attention to this. This isn't great. You should be doing something else instead. Okay. So there's green flags that are obvious green flags, like happy, fun times, really good things that you want to be leaning into. And then of course there are green flags that are disguised that don't feel great, but are actually golden pieces of information that if you pay attention to it, you can really make your life a whole lot better, a whole lot easier. Uh, You can be a lot happier and you can have much healthier relationships if you pay attention to them. So I'm going to be breaking down all kinds of green flags in this episode and how to really look out for them in your day to max Maximize your time on this earth. Um, life updates. So this episode's coming out on Monday. So I'm not going to talk too much about the result with the Matildas on Saturday night because we're playing for third, but third position against Sweden. But I am so obsessed with the Women's World Cup. I cannot put it into words. The other night was the semi-final against England. My heart was hurting by the end of it. Like I was in pain. We lost 3-1. Could not be more prouder of them. Like I just, it's done wonders for sport in Australia, not just, well, soccer in particular or football in Australia. Like it, and for women's sport, I just can't even put it into words. Like they have changed the landscape of women's sport and football slash soccer in general in Australia. It is unbelievable what they've done. The energy just everywhere you go with everyone supporting it. It's just really brought everyone together. Honestly, it's been the most unbelievable, you know, month or however long the World Cup, I think roughly a month. So yeah, huge shout out to all the Matildas. I really am dying to interview a Matilda. So that is going to happen. I've put it out there. I'm 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 fucking manifesting that shit. I'm gonna interview minimum one. Matilda. Anyway, so uh, fuck that Sam Kerr goal. I could go on. This could be an entire podcast about how much I love the Matildas, but that fucking goal blew my mind. Anyway, I'm going to relax now. So that's pretty much my life update. By the time this episode goes live, the game on Saturday would have already happened. Um, So good luck to the Matildas. Love them so much. And anyway, we're going to get into a brain fact and then we're going to get straight into the episode of today, all about green flags to look out for. And then of course, stay tuned for the very end for a listener question. Uh, I've had a lot of people really cool feedback on the Facebook group saying that they sometimes learn more from the listener question than they did from what, you know, they'll listen to a topic 
of an episode and think, oh, this is right up my alley. They'll, you know, get something out of it. And then they'll listen to a listener question thinking it's not relevant and be like, wow, I actually got more out of the listener question because I plucked some lessons out of that and applied it to my life. So definitely stay tuned. Even if you don't think it's an absolute relevant question, there's always something that you can get from someone's story or from, you know, looking at something from a different perspective. Okay, let's get into the brain fact. And the brain fact is actually one that I have done before and I thought I would bring it back because I think it is one that's relevant to a lot of people and it is hangovers on the brain, why they happen and what exactly causes a hangover because there's several contributing factors and what you can do about it. And can you stave off a hangover? Is that possible? So that is the brain fact. Let's get into it. I thought I'd go into hangovers because I think we've most of us have experienced a hangover and it's not a good time. It's not a good time. So I thought let's go into kind of what happens when you are hungover. And a bit of a, a, um, a what do you call it, a spoiler alert. There's no like real way to totally avoid a hangover unless you just pace yourself while you're drinking or you don't drink at all. But there are definitely things you can do to alleviate the hangover and make it a whole lot better than what it could be. So let's kind of talk about it. So what happens when you are hungover? Firstly, alcohol makes you feel extremely dehydrated. It is a diuretic. The level of dehydration has a lot of effects on your entire body. But basically, you lose four parts of liquid or water in your body to every one part of alcohol that you consume. So unless you're consuming like a lot of water, and of course it's important to have food in your stomach as well because that slows down the absorption of ethanol into the bloodstream. Um, You know that whole idea of like drinking on an empty stomach, that's for sure going to accelerate the process. I think that's just a a very obvious fact. And if it's not, then there you go. That's why because you're not – putting a barrier between the absorption of ethanol. So you absorb it way too quickly. It gets way too quickly into the bloodstream. So that's why it's good to eat. Um, and, of course, it's good to stay hydrated when you're drinking. And that, and and not just, like, have, you know, orange juice with your vodka. Like, drink water as well. That's really important if you want to stave off a hangover. Um, so you are losing a lot of liquid. And the reason you get a headache – how's this? There's a few reasons, but one of the reasons why you get a headache is that this – dehydration at such a crazy degree when you are really, really drunk or hungover actually causes your brain to shrink slightly and it causes a bit of tension between your brain and the membrane that surrounds the brain and that hurts the brain. That causes pressure essentially. It's like a a weird pressure between the brain and the membrane um, and it's not very pleasant. So until you get right back up to those hydration levels, you're going to have that headache. Um, But then there's other reasons that you have a headache as well, which I'll go into in a second. So so when you drink, your body then produces this toxin. There's a whole like complicated way of how it produces it. I'm not going to go into it, but it produces a toxin called acetaldehyde, okay? And this can actually be 10 to 20 or some, some, some um, sources say even 30 times more toxic than alcohol on the body. So if you don't drink too much, then your liver can actually metabolize this acetaldehyde by combining it to an enzyme called acetaldehyde dehydrogenase. So remember, anything that ends in ASEAs is an enzyme, so dehydrogenase. And it also combines it with something called glutathione, okay? And those are the things that help kind of clear it properly, metabolize it properly, get it out of your system. 
But when you drink too much, the liver runs out of those two things. So the toxins then build up in your body. It doesn't get cleared properly because your liver has run out of those two things. And then that's where you're getting the nausea, the vomiting, the toxins in your stomach. So that's causing your, your gut to be like, let's fucking get rid of this shit because it's toxic. So that's why you're vomiting. It's also then another reason why you get headaches as well because it's a toxin. doesn't feel good for the body. And so your body is now you know, under distress, okay? Um, you're also then going to secrete more acids within the gut and the stomach lining and you're going to like feel like shit, okay? Now, is it true that different alcohols can cause a worse hangover than other alcohols? Yes, it is. Now, the reason for this is that alcohols that, like it, it's basically – during the fermentation process, one of the byproducts of the fermentation process is called a congener, okay? And the more congeners there are present, the worse, it's like more toxins, it adds to the effect of the hangover. So the worse your hangover is going to be. Not not by a long shot, like you're still, if you even if you have like a relatively clear alcohol with less congeners, you're still going to get a hangover because of everything I just explained. But if you have the really dark alcohols where you've got more of this kind of toxin present this congener so that's red wines or dark liquor these impurities basically it's an impurity um, then you're more likely to, for your hangover to be a little bit more violent whereas if you have alcohol with less congeners like vodka clear liquors things like that um, they've got less so in some cases you're probably going to have less symptoms but still you if you're drinking a lot the hangover will probably be there. But if you're someone that's like, why is it that when I have vodka, I'm fine? Or when I have clear tequila, I'm fine. But then when I have red wine, it's game over. That's probably one of the reasons for that. Okay, so what can you do? Let's say that you're already hungover. Let's say you've already had the drinks. You've already had the drinks. The first thing I recommend is, I know you might not feel like it, but whenever possible, drink as much water before you go to sleep. Please drink water before you go to sleep. That is so crucial. Um, even if you throw in like a Barocco or something, some B vitamin, some sort of B vitamin is going to be really, really good because your alcohol kind of um, strips the body of the, your stores of B vitamins. So some people think that taking B vitamins prior to drinking is going to be beneficial to stave off the hangover. It's not really the case because the B, B vitamins that you have consumed, the alcohol is just kind of going to get rid of that anyway. So what you want to be doing is you want to have the B vitamins after you've been drinking um, and during the hangover process. So you can, whether you go in for an infusion or where you, whether you're having one of those like, you know, Barocca or if you're not, in, I don't know if every country has Barocca, but it's basically those tablets that dissolve in water and it tastes delicious. So something like that. You also want to be having like electrolytes. You need sodium and you need sugars as well. Some, something's going to give you a bit of energy. You want to be feeding your brain as well. You don't want to feel like really depleted and shit. Um, so yeah, water before you go to bed, water during the night. What I do if I've had a, like a few drinks and I know like this, you know, I'm going to be feeling like shit tomorrow. I drink a shit ton of water before I go to sleep, which then causes me to wake up like three hours later to go to the bathroom. And then I drink more water again. So when I wake up, obviously I've got less chances of that headache feeling because I've really replenished. I've hydrated a lot. And then very light exercise is recommended. I know some people absolutely couldn't do that, but just that movement of light exercise with the hydration, with the B vitamins, that's going to be kind of as like it's going to be helpful. Look, but nothing is going to fully, fully, fully cure a hangover because once the damage has been done, you're then, your body then has to kind of go through the motions, go through the pain, like get rid of all the toxins, rehydrate the brain before you can start to feel good again. 
Okay, so let's get into the topic of today's episode, which is green flags. So like I said, there's two kinds of green flags. The first kind is the honest green flags, the things that look good, they feel good, you lean into it and it just feels great. That's the clear green flag. And the second one is the green flag, which is actually disguised as a red flag. It's like a warning sign. It's an alarm bell. If you listen to it, it will actually benefit you in the long run, but it might not be pleasant at the time. Now I'm going to give examples of what these green flags could look like, whether they're disguised or whether they're just honest green flags. So a behavior from someone else, whether it's positive or negative, it could be something that raises an alarm and you think, okay, I'm going to take note of this. Didn't like that. I'm going to just bank that one and see if that crops up again. Or it could be something really, really positive where you think, wow, I can't remember the last time I felt so comfortable in my own skin around somebody else. So any behavior. Uh, It could be an example of what you want. Something shows up and you think, that's exactly what I've been looking for. That's exactly what I want. It could be an opportunity, an open door, a chance, a risk, a positive risk, um, how you are treated by somebody, doesn't matter who it is, the moments that you feel calm and what you are doing in those moments and who you are around in those moments. It's also about looking for open doors and also closed doors that will lead you down a different path. So I think it's really important to take note of these closed doors as potentially something really, really good, okay? Because there's going to be moments in your life where you're not going to be able to go get that certain opportunity that you want to get. It's not about how hard you push and just push harder, just push harder. You can redirect where you're going and keep taking action and keep growing and keep pushing yourself further. But there are certain things in life that no matter how hard you try for that one thing, it it might not happen for you. And sometimes that is a good thing. Sometimes when you get that realization, you think, all right, I'm finally just going to let go of this one aspect, still keep the energy that I've got, but I need to redirect it. I need to shake things up. I need to change either how I'm going about it, or I need to change, you know, what it is that I'm aiming for altogether. And then ultimately likely become a whole lot happier. It's happened many times in my personal life where I've thought that a certain thing that I'm going for is the be all end all. And I've knocked at that door so many times, so many times, and it has not happened for me. And I truly believe that when you know the feeling that you want in your life, you can always achieve that feeling. But sometimes the direct specific thing you're going for might not work out for you. And for me, and this is just anecdotally, every time something hasn't worked out, there's been something better that I've found around the corner. And I've thought, if I don't get this, I'll be devastated. And then when I finally think, this is just not working for me, what can I do? How can I divert my energy into things that I know I love or that I know I'm interested in and have that work for me? Okay. So sometimes a closed door is one of the best green flags that can happen because it's like, this is fucking done. This chapter's done. Can't move along. And then when you move along, that's where the magic really happens. Another thing is, another example of a green flag is how you are feeling in a certain moment. So when something feels uncomfortable, pay attention. Why am I feeling uncomfortable? Or when something feels like you're going against the grain, why is that? Um, If something goes against your morals, is it an indication that you need to direct your energy to something else? You know, sometimes someone does you a huge favor by showing you a side of themselves early on. And that should be a closed door, a sign to go the other way. It's one of those green flags disguised as a red flag. But what happens a lot of the time is that We have an idea of what we want and we're so hell-bent on having this thing that we become really attached to getting this thing. 
And an example of this is love, right? A romantic partner. So then when something shows up that's like, oh my God, I'm getting this thing, I'm getting this thing, I'm so hell-bent, I have to have it, I have to have it, I'm desperate for it, that when you start getting these warning signs show up, you ignore it. You're like, no, 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 that can't be, no, no, surely. it's. And you make excuses for these warning signs because you're so hell-bent on this outcome that you want, which is being in love. So you meet someone, for example, who's interested in you, who shows you attention and affection and does things. So you think, yes, yes, this is what I want. Then you start seeing some behaviors like controlling or condescending or whatever it is that, that you know you don't like, but you'll suppress, you'll suppress, you'll suppress. When in reality, these little warning signs on early, early on are a fucking green flag disguised as a red flag. It's, it's saying, divert your energy. Look for this elsewhere. Go somewhere else. This is a closed door. You might have learned something here, but you need to move on. We are really good at ignoring things that don't serve this ultimate goal that we're going for, that we end up making ourselves suffer so much because we say, no, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to keep it in my life. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to keep it in my life. But these things are very, very good things. After you experience something that's quite unhealthy, let's use relationships as an example, then when it happens again in your life, you say, no, nope, not having a bar of that, not interested. You're, you don't think, oh, oh, you know, a little bit controlling, but fine, I'll just stay. No, you're like, I've experienced this. I hate it. I'm not having it. And I don't care how much I want love. This is not the kind of love that I want. So I'm not interested. And then you're able to move, move on. When people display these behaviors, whether it's romantically, whether it's as a friend, whether it's as an employer or an employee or whatever dynamic, when people display these behaviors, they are doing you a favor. It is a green flag. It's something to be like, it, it's piqued your attention and you think they've done me a favor. They've shown me an insight into what my future could look like if I follow this path. And now that I've had that alarm bell go off, I can do something about it instead of what we normally do. And we think, oh, I saw that. I saw that and I'm going to ignore it because I want to be in love or because I want to you know, hang out with these people and this friendship group, even though it makes me feel severe anxiety. Okay. So it is a green flag disguised as a red. So now let's go into a little, you know, a, a list of things that you should be looking out for in your day. The first one is pay attention to the people that are giving you their time and their energy genuinely. Pay attention to those moments where someone is valuing you and appreciating you and you want to spend time here. You want to lean into these moments. So there are going to be friendships in your life that feel this way and there are going to be friendships, quote unquote, that make you feel the absolute opposite. So really start to pay attention and think who are the people that when I am around, I feel heard. I feel like they are listening to me. I feel that it is a really rich exchange, like a rich value exchange. When we have a conversation, I'm equally as as interested in what they have to say as they are interested in what I have to say. And those are the relationships that you're going to be pouring more of your time and energy into instead of the ones that you think you value, but probably don't actually offer you any legitimate value. And they're kind of the relationships where it's more, oh, you know, I've been friends with these people for so long that 
I think I need to keep hanging out with them or the ones where like, oh, this person's so cool. I just wish I could hang out with them and I wish they liked me yet. I get no value when I hang out with them because they don't really listen to me. They cut me off all the time. It's all about me, me, me. They've got other people that they'd rather hang around yet. I still make myself suffer and put myself in this situation because I think it's going to bring me happiness. When in reality, every time I hang out with this person, I never feel that great after the encounter. Okay. The next one is look for examples of what you want and have them be examples of what is available for you in your future. And what I mean by this is it's a, this is a really good way to turn something around when you are jealous or envious of somebody. Instead of leaning into the jealous jealousy and the envy and those unpleasant feelings, instead You look at those moments and you think, okay, why am I feeling envy? Why am I feeling jealous? What can I learn from this moment? And what can I do about this feeling? And normally when we feel envy or jealousy, it's because we are looking at something that we want, but we think we cannot have. So it's the gap between where we are and where we wish we could be and thinking that that bridge cannot be crossed. So instead You pause and you think, okay, I'm going to pay attention to this feeling. This feeling exists. But instead of hating this thing or instead of having, you know, these negative emotions towards this person who has a life that I want or who has something that I want or who has achieved something that I want, instead I'm going to look at it and think, okay, this is an indicator of something that I want. So I'm learning something about myself. There's something that this person has that I want. And instead of thinking, oh, I can't have it and that's why I'm feeling negative, you're going to think, well, if this person can have it, then there's no reason why I can't have a version of that thing. Might not be the exact same thing if it's a particular person that they're married to or whatever. But, you know, when you see someone who's crazy in love, instead of thinking, fuck them, fuck all these people who are in love, I wish I was in love, you think, no, these are great examples that prove to me that there's solid relationships available. So while I'm not having that exact relationship, I know that that is a possibility for me and it's showing to me what it is that I truly want. So next time you feel envy or jealousy, you think just strip away the negativity here. What is it that I want? And instead of harboring all these negative feelings, think, well, it's got to be possible for me. If it's possible for them, why can't it be possible for me? So then it becomes more of this excitement. And I used to practice that a lot when I would look at people that were doing really well in their career. Initially when I'd be, I'd have these moments of like, ah, and I would feel down about myself thinking like, God, they're doing so well. Why can't I be there? Why can't I be doing what they're doing? And I would feel a bit bummed. Then I started changing it to what can I learn from these people? How can I even if I can't meet them in person, how can I befriend them in my mind? And instead of being jealous of the life they have, I'm going to aspire to have certain things that they have. And I'm going to use these people as my motivators. So then I grabbed the exact same stimulus that was causing me pain and turned it into something that would motivate me and get me excited. So instead of thinking, oh, I can't look at these people that have such a great life and everything's working for them because it makes me annoyed. No, I would turn that around and think, I'm going to look at these people who have such great life because it gets me excited for what I can achieve for myself. Look at these people. That, and, and a lot of them were in careers that I have no interest in whatsoever, but it was them being happy and successful in their career. So 
Look at the people that you're jealous of or that you are envious of or that you're like, oh, saying your life annoys me because it's so good. Why? Why does it annoy you? What is it a representation of? And is there something that you can get from these people that instead that you can turn that jealousy into motivation? Can this person and what that person has be a driving force for you? And in most cases, the answer is yes. Not in every case, but in a lot of cases. So every time you have this uh, this um, jealousy or envy, that's a green flag. It's saying there's something you can learn here. Turn this around, identify what that thing is, name it, look at it, bring it to light, and then think how can I turn this into a motivating moment instead of one that makes me feel shitter about myself. And when you look at examples of things that you want, it's kind of like, like – um, this cognitive bias that we have, you know, you're about to buy a, a red Suzuki Swift. So then you see red Suzuki Swifts everywhere because you've ordered it and you're waiting for it and, it, and it's going to be, it, it, you'll see it everywhere. Okay. It's kind of the same thing. Once, instead of having this negative, you know, push pull towards that thing that you want, you think, I'm going to seek out examples of what it is that I want. So you think people that are really successful and thriving in their career, before you know it, you're having conversations with people left, right and center, people who are thriving in their career, you start getting ideas and you start surrounding yourself with people who have the thing that you want to have. And the more you surround yourself with people who have what you want to have, it becomes more realistic for you. It doesn't feel like, oh, that's out of my reach. That's out of my leg. I could never achieve that. You think, wait a minute, this is now the norm. This is easy. I'm around people who are happy with their career. I'm around people who feel driven every day. I'm pumped. This is just now the norm. And you end up kind of leveling up to that. So instead of avoiding it because it causes you too much pain, you end up seeking it out. You have this, you know, attentional bias and you end up drawing more and more of that stuff to you until you actually start doing the same thing as these people, okay? So that's a really, really helpful thing. So seek out examples of the life that you want to live or the, or the feelings that you want to feel. So whether it's healthy relationships, whether it's health, physical health, whether it's um, a particular habit that you want to instill in your day, you know, friendships, career, levels of drive, any overall feeling that you want to be feeling, lifestyle, you can apply it to anything. The next thing you want to look for is who or what makes you feel calm. This is probably one of the most important things that you need to be looking for in your day. And there will be so many moments where you could be feeling calm and you just, it's a fleeting moment and you don't pay attention to it. But for me, one thing I noticed that I would be quite like quick about it and I wouldn't pay attention and now I'm leaning into it more is when I get home, instead of just quickly patting my dog Habib, I notice that I have this massive sense of calm when I'm with my dog. So I put all my bags, phone out, put everything down and then I'll sit down and really be present in that moment when I'm greeting my dog because I'm so just in that moment and it really brings me down. I'm a lot calm, like it brings my energy down to this nice calm state. And instead of getting home, being flustered and then getting on my phone and checking all my emails again, blah, 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 blah. no, I've put it aside and I'm like, this is my calm moment. So for me, I've noticed that patting my dog, sitting down on the floor, 
patting my dog is a really calm moment for me. So I try and do that more often. And if I'm working from home, if my dog like kind of walks around, I'll literally put everything down and I'll go and give him attention. And that just really grounds me, you know, makes me feel really good. And I'm less likely to then want to be on my phone or be checking my emails incessantly and all of these things. So that could be for you. It could be when you have a tea in the morning. It could be you know, walking outside, it could be speaking to a particular person that really has this beautiful calming presence. And every time you talk to them, you're like, fuck, I just feel so good around you. So identify the moments where you feel calm. And if possible, repeat those moments throughout the day. So for me, it's easy with the dog because I can, you know, I live with my dog so I can do it often. But there are going to be some situations where maybe it's a friend that maybe you could see more often or someone who you could call more often, something like that. But what or who makes you feel calm? Do more of that. Pay attention to it. And in those moments, can you extend those moments? You're going to feel a lot better. You're going to feel a lot more focused. You're going to feel a lot happier. The next thing is when do you feel the most comfortable in your skin? Apart from being alone, because when we were alone, when we're alone, it is when we are the most comfortable in our skin. Nothing trumps that because, well, unless you are completely self-critical and you're standing in front of a mirror because you might not feel comfortable then. But when you're just doing your daily thing, not having to impress anyone, not having to appear to be a certain thing, you're quite comfortable. You're not really thinking about it that much, right? The next best thing I would imagine would be a pet they're really not judgmental. They fucking love you sick. Some people would actually prefer being with a pet than even being alone, okay? But that's when you're really comfortable in your own skin. Then level it up to the next point. Who else makes you feel super comfortable to just be you? So for a lot of people that might be their sibling, their best friend, where they don't even have to think about, you know how sometimes, you know how sometimes when you meet up with someone, you're like, oh my God, do I look okay? Is there shit in my teeth? Is this, that? Like, and you start, you're a bit critical and you're a bit in your head instead of being in the moment, then there are other people that you're like, I don't care. Like I could make a mistake in what I'm saying. I could have, you know, it, it just absolutely wouldn't matter if I embarrassed myself or if I didn't, I wouldn't feel ashamed. I could laugh about it. It wouldn't matter because I feel so comfortable in my skin when I'm around this person. So pay attention to who that is. Who are these people? And the more you spend time with people that make you feel comfortable in your own skin, the more practice you get being in your own skin and just being comfortable with who you are. And then you can extend that out to other people and to strangers and to everyone else because there are people out there who have some people just are born this way and they never unlearn it, which is incredible. And I love that for them. Like my sister's one of them, I reckon, um, who are just so comfortable in their own skin, no matter what, no matter. Sam Kerr is another example. She's just got this fucking aura about her and you can tell that she's so comfortable in her own skin. So there are people that have that. So if you want to get more comfortable in your own skin and feel that way more often, seek out those moments. Seek out those people that make you feel that way and spend more time with them. Spend longer moments with these people, okay? Because then you're going to get good practice. And then before you know it, you'll be able to have that same feeling, not just with the people that make you feel that way, but with anybody. And it takes a little bit of practice if you're not used to it, but you can eventually get to that point where you're, that is your default 
instead of your default being this really self-critical person who's in your head and then there's just these handful of people that make you feel comfortable, okay? So that is a green flag to look out for who makes you feel comfortable in your own skin or what makes you feel comfortable in your own skin. The next green flag to look for is where is there an even value exchange? So this goes for relationships massively and it also goes for work, for your career, for any kind of job role that you have. You never want to be in a position where someone thinks that you owe them something. Like, I've done you all these favors, you owe me. This is a very unhealthy dynamic to be in. So you want to lean into the dynamics where there is an even value exchange. I spoke about this as an example on one of the podcasts around quitting your job and all of that. But one thing that I hate is when you're in a job where your employer is always making you feel like you are lucky to have the job. I hate that. I don't like it when employers do that. I don't think it's fair because it's basically saying your skill set is not worth what I'm paying you. So if, a, if an employer is always making you feel that you're replaceable and you're lucky to have – I mean, we're all technically replaceable. So that's, that's you know, pretty much – unfortunately, in the work world, we are fucking all replaceable to an extent. But for them to make you feel like they're doing you a favor would mean that – you're not providing as much value as they are providing for you. That's pretty much what they're saying. So if you're ever in a situation where someone is making you feel like they're providing more value than you are providing, then you either need to question it or you could, have, you could look at yourself and say, is it true? Like, are they actually giving me more value than what I'm providing? Because if that's the case, how can I level up? How can I be of more value to this relationship? But if it's not true, pull them up on it. You have to say, if your employer is always saying, oh, you're lucky to have this job, you're lucky to have this job, then you say, what in my job description am I not doing? Because my job description equals this salary and I'm doing everything my job description says. So where is the luck here, right? The same goes for a relationship. If you are in a relationship where someone is constantly making you feel like they um, – that you are lucky to be with them and they're providing all these things and you're not providing them X amount. So there could be friends that are like this. There could be relatives that are like this and most probably most common a romantic relationship. You want to steer clear of those particular relationships or if you are in one, you need to shed the light on this and do something about it. Because if someone is always, if you're always in a position where you feel like the person is providing you more value or they're making you feel like they provide more value than you do, then this is, you're now in a power, there's a, there's a power dynamic going on where you're sitting in a lower amount of power and that person has more power over the situation. And this is where, um, relationships can get pretty controlling or where someone can put you down or where, you know, because you feel like, oh shit, they're doing more for me than what I'm doing for them. So I pretty much have to like pander to what it is that they want or what it is that they say because they don't really have a leg to stand on. So a green flag are the relationships and the situations, professional or not, where you feel that there is an even value exchange. That is the healthiest relationship to be in any kind of relationship in any sense of the word where it's an even value exchange. And I'm not talking about exchanging the exact same thing. You might provide one thing and the other person is providing the other thing, but you come and meet in the middle and you're having your needs met and you both are providing value. So you don't have to do an exact exchange of what that person is providing. One person may bring in the money. The other person is bringing in, you know, physical tasks. One person is maybe more acts of service and the other one is a gift giver. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be whatever works for you but where you both feel that it is fair 
and even. That is crucial. Anything that is not that in a relationship, the person who feels that they're providing less value or is made to feel that they're providing less value is going to feel less and less comfortable, less and less happy. And then eventually it's going to kind of like eat into your self-esteem. So that's a huge green flag to look for, even value exchange in your relationships and in your workplace. And the last one is pay attention to where you are in a flow state. So for me personally, I realized that I was going to do the podcast by accident because I lent into this green flag and I started paying attention to when I would talk about the brain to other people. And a couple of people, family and friends, mentioned to me, they're like, oh my God, you get so excited when you talk about the brain, your eyes light up. And, th- and that was it. They just make a comment like that. Wow, my God, it's, you know. And I started leaning into, it's like, wow, I feel different when I talk about the brain than when I talk about other topics. And when I'd learn something at uni, I'd be like, oh, I've got to tell someone about this, what I've just learned. So I'd call my mom and my dad, or I'd call my sister, or I'd speak to Liv and I'd tell her what I had learned. And I started realizing that that was my f- like flow state. I noticed that I would just thrive under those conditions. And it wasn't related to my career at the time. I was doing, you know, full-time working as a Pilates instructor, which I loved and I actually still do love. But it wasn't even related to my career specifically. It was just something that I was studying because I loved it. Didn't even know if I was going to use it as a career because I had no idea where I'd go. And it was just, I just, the more I lent into it, the better I felt. And I could just, I felt like I could just, you know, keep going and keep going and talk about it and talk about it. So that was kind of this flow state that I got into. And that, paying attention to that is what got me doing the podcast because I'm like, not only do I love the brain, but I love talking about the brain and teaching people about it. So I'm going to lean into that. So pay attention with you. And it doesn't have to be career-wise. It doesn't have to be podcast. Mine happened to be a career. But pay attention with you. When are you in a flow state? Is there something that you're really good at creatively but you just don't tap into? Is there something that you could be doing on the side that every time you talk about it, you feel fucking good? Or are you a great writer? Are you a great, you know, musician? Do you feel really good when you do physical tasks? Are you really good at helping other people do something? Are you a good teacher of a certain thing? Or it could be something just completely as a hobby that you like to do gardening. It could be, it doesn't matter, but pay attention to this flow state because when you are in a flow state and when you feed into that flow state and you spend more time here, you start getting a really good, really positive changes in your brain. You're getting these releases of these really feel good neurotransmitters. And when you do that, that lowers overall anxiety. It calms you right down. It helps you stay focused. You have increased focus for longer. So the more you lean into these moments, you're actually training your brain like a muscle to be focused in other areas of your life because you're able to tap into that flow state and stay there. So for example, if you just started doing something that you really like doing, let's let's say, let's use gardening as an example. You might find, oh my God, when I'm doing gardening, I'm not I'm not on my phone. I'm not getting all these quick hits of dopamine. I'm doing something that's grounding yet requires my focus. And I could be here for a really long time. So you actually start changing how your brain responds to certain stimulus and how your brain responds to, you know, things that make you feel good. So instead of doing this quick hit of dopamine, like social media or vaping or something like that, you're doing something that you could 
you just feel in this calm flow state that you could just keep going and going and going. And because you've done that for an extended period of time, then you're less likely to then go and look for those quick hits of dopamine later on in your day. And therefore, you're healthier overall, you sleep a lot better, you wake up with a lot more energy, you feel like your attention span is a lot better and you can hold it for a lot longer and you're a lot more productive as well on the tasks that you do that are not related to this flow state as well. So there's this massive positive flow on effect when you're able to find something that you love and you can lean into. Another thing that I used to do that's not career related at all, randomly was sewing. And I got into sewing when I went through one of my breakups and it was the best therapy for me. I would get home from work and I, I would like throw my bag down on the floor and just go straight to the sewing machine. And I'd like, I'd start off really stressed because I'm like, oh my God, I'm so heartbroken. And, and then I'd like pick something and I'd pick a pattern. I'd be cutting out a pattern. I'd start sewing and, or I'd find some fabric that I thought was really cool and try and design a dress and make it for that weekend. And before I knew it, four hours had gone past and my phone was still in my bag. I hadn't even taken it out to look at it. There'd be all these missed calls from people thinking that I was just crying myself in my sorrows or whatever. And I'm like, Wow. That was so calming and I was, it was almost like a meditative state, okay? So lean into things that can be your flow state and try and do them as often as possible. That is a huge green flag for your brain health, for your overall productivity, for, for you to learn things about yourself because you might find, like with me, I found that the thing that was my flow state, I was actually, I could turn into a podcast and you might find that something with your flow state, you could turn into something bigger in your life. Or you could keep it as a hobby and it's still going to be extremely healthy for your brain as well. Okay, that is the episode for today. I hope you can pay attention to those green flags and the green flags that are disguised as red flags and make use of those things. Anyway, that is the episode for today. I hope you can apply those things ASAP. Now it is time for our listener question. Hi Alexis, I've been in a relationship with a man for the last six months and it's the healthiest relationship I have been in. We are open with our feelings, we communicate well with each other, he's thoughtful, kind and a great listener. We're quite well suited. I'm confident he feels the same. He's 47 and I'm 43. He has shared with me that he has a lot of self-confidence issues, though he has a very successful career and is highly intelligent. And after spending time with his family recently, I can see exactly where his issues stem from. His father is constantly belittling him, even in front of me, telling me that he's a know-it-all, that he's weak, that things are his fault and other similar put-downs. My boyfriend goes into spiraling negative self-talk on occasions after spending time with his father. But my question is, though I can see it's very clearly the root of his issues, is it my place to say anything to my boyfriend? Obviously, family relationships cannot be taken lightly and are deeply rooted. Plus, ours is a fairly new relationship. He does see a therapist once a month and I did ask if they discuss his negative self-talk and they've touched on it. I should note that my boyfriend was raised to believe that it is his job in his adult life to take care of his aging parents and he takes that responsibility seriously. His sister-in-law also confided in me that she and his brother moved their family many hours away because being near the father was a problem. I don't want to change him, but I would like him to realize the good person that he is. Thank you, Alexis. Okay, this is a really great question. This is a fucking great question. Basically, you want to know if you should say anything or if it's appropriate for you to say anything. I think that if worded correctly and if approached in a very 
non-judgmental way, absolutely it is perfectly okay for you to bring this up and for you to talk about it 100% because you're not coming from a point of, uh, you're not going to come from a position of attacking his father, but it is very clear that his father, that there's issues there. The sister-in-law and her partner, his brother have moved away. They're literally so aware that they are willing to move somewhere else to get away from that. That just shows that obviously this father is, you know, displays some very unhealthy behaviors to say the least, to the extent that people don't even want to be near them. And obviously this guy is, he sounds like a catch. Like you, you, you respect each other a lot. You get a, along well. You clearly love the guy or are heading in that direction where you, you know, think you're going to be in love with this man. So you want to work on it. You want this to be something that's going to have legs and it's going to go very far. So if I were you, I would absolutely speak to him and say, I would word it kind of in a way of saying, based on what I've observed between your relationship with your father, do you think, it's made me want to ask the question, do you think that some of your negative self-talk could stem from the dynamic that you have with your father? So you're not saying, well, your dad's a cunt, he treats you like shit, this, that. You're not, you're not trying to pit him against his father and you're not trying to come across. It's got to be something that he has to open up about and talk about and you're just creating a safe space for him to do so, okay? So it's not telling him what it is. You're not trying to tell him his situation that he obviously is well aware of, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. You're not trying to come in and fix his life. You're just saying, look, this is what I've observed being around you guys. Do you think that's what might impact you? Because he's well aware that he has these self-confidence issues and he's speaking to a therapist. So that already shows a a decent level of self-awareness that this man has. So I would imagine that he would be receptive to you raising it, but make sure that you're not going into character assassinations because at the end of the day, for most people, no matter how angry you can be at your own family, when someone from the outside of that family unit, which in this case is you at this point, um, attacks that person's family, they get defensive. So it's, it's like that whole thing of like, oh, I'm allowed to talk shit about my sibling or about my partner, but the moment someone else does, I'm not okay with it. So you've got to understand that there will be this protective potentially, I don't know him, but potentially a protective side of him that will want to stand up and protect his family unit if he feels that it's being attacked. So make sure that the words that you speak are more an observation. It is not an attack. You're not character assassinating his father. You're not name calling. That's up to him to do if he wants to do that in the safe space with you. But you are saying, this is what I've observed. How do you feel about that? Would you agree? Do you think this impacts this? And so you're just talking about situations. I noticed that he mentioned this about you, which I don't find to be true, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's those things, you know, that you you absolutely can talk about because the thing is that you are privy to it. If if this was hearsay and someone told you and this and that, then it gets difficult to bring it up because you're like, well, I haven't really seen it. You're there. You're seeing it. You're exposed to it. So you are in your right to then in private, talk to your partner about that 100%. You don't have to shut your mouth just because they're blood related. Absolutely not. But you do it in a way that makes him feel comfortable to talk about it. And you can also say, you don't even have to talk to me about it. I just thought I would raise what I observed for you to just sit on it and have a think about it. And maybe it's something you can discuss with your therapist. You could even say it like that if you think that he might not even want to talk about it. But 
in a nutshell, should you feel comfortable talking to him about it? Absolutely, yes. You come from a place of peace and love and you approach it really, really, you know, honestly and gently and I think he will take it quite well and he will be quite receptive to it. Hopefully that helped. Guys, love you so much. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening to today's episode. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.